0: Welcome to Securing Our Future, a podcast exploring how commercial and national security sectors work together to accelerate innovation. In each episode, we sit down with industry leaders, government officials, leading academics, and more to delve into the latest advancements and challenges in all areas related to our nation's future. This podcast is a publication of New North Ventures, a venture capital firm at the forefront, of fueling the resurgence of American industry, innovation, and resilience. Join us as we engage in insightful conversations with experts from the private and public sectors. To stay updated on the latest episodes and receive additional resources, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at securingourfuture.us.
1: Thanks for joining us today, Trevor, on Securing Our Future. Great to be with you, Jeremy. Thank you for the time. First things would love to hear your upbringing and the way in which you got to the army and how that's gotten you into this portfolio life that you now live and is sometimes dreaded by people as a failure where you can't find one one area of focus you have to focus on many so yeah. how did you how did you first get started in the armed services
2: yeah, great question. Born and raised in Lake Placid, New York, and uh, came from pretty what I would probably loosely call humble upbringing, hum- humble grounds. There, I was paying my own way through college. I made it as far as my freshman year before I ran out of money, and I was on air as a disc jockey. I think they still have those, but disc jockey, DJ for a radio station, and it was owned by a class of 1976, Norwich University graduate, just up the road from you in Vermont the university where Reserve Officer Training Corps, or ROTC, was created and Strong, the oldest private military college in the country. And so he came in as a proud graduate and said, hey, what's your plan? And I said, I think I'm going to apply for a scholarship because I'm out of money and take a year off. And he's like, hey, let's go check out Norwich. And the rest, as they say, is history. We went over there to Northfield, Vermont, and I was able to get scholarship and the right opportunity there at Norwich, and I enjoyed it. It gave me a chance to be a part of something bigger than myself, and that led to entering the military first as an enlisted soldier and then as an officer. And then I blinked and some almost 30 years went by of that entire time. And so it was a fantastic ride, a great career, and I would highly recommend it to anyone listening in terms of your younger listeners who might be thinking about a career of service to our nation and being part of something bigger than themselves.
1: How did you think about assignments and and choosing different paths while you were in uniform? The first few were decided for me, but I knew
2: early on, essentially, I had the opportunity to go in what the Army calls the combat arms. I spent my first Probably about six years in the infantry and in armored cavalry and reconnaissance. And so you think of Abrams tanks and Bradley fighting vehicles, much of the same kit that's still being used today. Those assignments were decided for me. The only sort of thing I asked for was to be in, in division cavalry, which is a sort of what was and is now coming back as small unit that each Army division had. So I did that for a number of years. And then transition into military intelligence. And coming out of military intelligence, there was a serendipitous, as so often happens, opportunity to go to 10th Special Forces Group out at Fort Carson, Colorado. And I remember fighting with the assignment officer, and she was saying, you can't go there. Your career will be dead before it ever gets going. And me telling her, I'm going to go. This is where I want to go. This is where my passion lies. I want to give this a go. And that's where I ended up and ended up there in, in June of 2000. And then you fast forward and I'm there certainly during 9-11. And once I was in that community and working with those men and women, I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay there. And I knew that's where I could contribute the most and provide the most to our service. And so I stayed in that community for most of my career.
1: And then how did you know it was time to retire? What was the things that got you thinking about yeah. uh, post post-service life? Yeah, no,
2: great question. Those assignments throughout my career, you should always take those opportunities. I think this will speak to the portfolio lifestyle too, but take the opportunities when they pop up. Don't leave them there. As opportunities come, walk through that door. If someone's cracking a door for you, take it. And so I did that throughout my career, and I had the opportunity to work at a couple of assignments at the White House, had the opportunity to work at places like CIA and at the Pentagon. And then command, probably the most elite intelligence organization and elite because of the men and women in it, not because of the commander. Let me be clear about that at the Joint Special Operations Command Intelligence Brigade. And at that point, it was a time where they say, "Okay, Trevor, you're you are on the path to the next promotion, the next rank. Do you want to pursue it? And it's that verb is in there for a reason because it is a, it's a lifestyle choice, it's not easy and it's, it can be incredibly taxing on you and your family. And at the time, my children, they're still very young. They were younger then, and I elected to, to go and focus more on being a father. I view that as being my job number one and the only thing I couldn't outsource. So I elected to retire at that point and transition out of the military after just shy of 30 years.
1: What was your plan when you got out? How'd you think about what was day one, day 100? Yeah,
2: yeah. So I've been a big fan of doing a transition program. I did the Honor Foundation program for special operations personnel. There's the Commit Foundation. There's a bunch of programs out there. And I'd encourage anyone who's at that stage and listening to take a look at those programs. Apply and go give that a chance because they give you an opportunity. Those programs give you an opportunity to think about transition in a more deeper fashion than just the regular programs that the armed services have. And so I did that and we knew we were, we moved to South Carolina. That's, that was a choice because you're controlling for sort of two things as you leave the military, what to do and where to do it. And I can remember looking at my wife and saying, I don't I want to solve both those problems at the same time. We have to solve one of them. So we elected to solve the where to live part. And then the, what to do is going to come next. And so day one of retirement looked an awful lot like me waking up and unemployed for the first time since I was 12 years old and it wasn't a it wasn't an oh my gosh sort of thing. it was a okay, this is weird this is a little bit different. Let's figure out what the next steps are. Obviously I'd been doing a lot of that work leading up to that but Jeremy, I'd never found the right fit with the company. I've talked to some fantastic companies, some of the most up and coming or already there startups and the national security space and the dual use tech space. And we just never got to where both sides were saying this is a good fit. And I wasn't going to settle again, focusing on the family was what the whole purpose of retirement was. So it was at that point where I said, I, I am passionate about giving our national security professional decisive advantage in providing that. I did it well in uniform. I want to do it and continue to do it in this next chapter. And then I came to how best to do that. And that's when I elected to start my own company and work advising these companies as opposed to
1: trying to find the perfect fit within the company. Yeah, and look forward to hearing what your company does. But I'm also curious, just how did you structure your day? You were a former intelligence officer. You were thinking through how to structure your time, like your outreach. What were you doing day to day in terms of finding what were the most interesting trends? How were you connecting with people? What were you saying when you were doing your 10th interaction with somebody new versus your first interaction? Like how did that engagement change? Yeah,
2: yeah. It's networking is so critical for I think anyone in business and certainly in anyone transitioning out of the government and into the commercial world. Because those what some will call cups of coffee or those discussions, those conversations, you never know where one's going to lead. And so, Jeremy, what I elected to do was the easy button for a guy or a gal coming out at my rank and with my time in uniform is to go to one of the prime integrators or to go back into government. And I eliminated both of those out of the gate as possibilities I wanted to pursue. Never say never. If someone from Lockheed's listening. I'm still willing to talk now. it Never say never, but that's not philosophically where I was. And so I, I decided that the ecosystem that you're well familiar with of venture capital, private equity and their portfolio companies doing really cool things in national security, that really excited me and I wanted to learn more about it. I had seen some of it while I was in uniform. I had touched some of it and worked with some startups, but I decided to jump into that ecosystem without really knowing what I was getting into because I don't I don't come prepackaged with an MBA or with deep experience in that. What I come with is deep experience in the executive branch and in the federal government and the intelligence community. And so I started learning and learning a lot and cold calling or asking for introductions, depending on which fund we were talking about with some of the funds that we're doing and investing in national security dual use technology and talking to them and then talking to some of their portfolio companies. And sometimes a great conversation with one fund would lead them to introduce me to some of their portfolio companies that could use someone like me. Other initially with the eye for a full-time employee, and then as they realize that maybe an advisory capacity may be better. And so I would structure every day where one of the easiest things to forget when you retire is exercise and that the criticality of that for your mental, kind of your mental state and just overall health. And people sometimes will drop that and say, well, I've been getting up at six o'clock to work out for 30 years. I'm not going to do it anymore. So I would continue to do that. So I view that as a centerpiece of, hey, you got to still exercise and do that for your health and for for your mental health and physical health. So the rest of the day, I would stack up some meetings and some introductions if need be. And sometimes... Jeremy, it would be reaching out to someone who I thought might be able to introduce me to a company that I was really interested in. Sometimes the companies would find me because my resume went out and people were pushing it around who were friends and colleagues and were doing me a solid in terms of of making sure that my resume got visibility. Uh, And sometimes I've even not been shy to go on LinkedIn and find someone and say, Hey, you're an army veteran. You're working in VC. I'm an army veteran. Can we have a, let's hop on a call. And all those things added up to opportunities. And if you sit back and wait for stuff to come to you, it's not going to. You have to go out and find it. And there is a little bit of hustle involved to, to going out and meeting the right people and meeting the right companies and then being able to have those conversations where then opportunity may arise.
1: Yeah, I've always found that the openness of people in the in industry is very high. And the number of times where I've been asked, hey, can you introduce me to this fellow government employee that I used to work with? And I think you guys have the same W2, you're in the same building. Can't you guys talk to each other? But there is interest in the hierarchical nature. And then when you get out into industry, there's just a different, a different approach to networking. And as you say, never say never, the community is very small, whether it's government, military, or industry. And so paying it forward, making introductions, helping people through, never say never. Yeah, if Chris Moran called me up and said, hey, I'm thinking about something over here at Lockheed's Venture Arm, yeah. definitely they, they do. They and a lot of others do some good work, but it's not necessarily for everyone. Everyone's looking for their own thing. Yeah, they do. Jeremy, you make a good point. They do some incredibly critical
2: work for our nation. Out of the gate, though, I wanted to try something different, right? I wanted to see what this other piece to the national security infrastructure is, like how are startups meaningfully contributing to our national security and how do I contribute to that? So that's where I ended up. And I've been learning every day. To your point, there have been many extraordinarily trained and just really generous people in terms of their time, their energy, their ideas, educating me, mentoring me through this and tons of them. And it surprised me a bit because I didn't know what to expect, but it's been almost uniformly with very rare exception. They've been inviting and open and had really just given me some opportunities to pick their brain, learn from them, and then leverage their Rolodex. And I've been trying to pay that back or forward, depending as people engage me now, because they see me out in this space and maybe they want to give it a go.
1: Yeah, no, it's very cool. One, One thing I remember doing was looking for someone who changed careers every two or three years, because when I went through a career transition, I had the same employer for 15 years, doing my own thing. And then suddenly it was the same type of thing. What am I supposed to do? And so I wanted to find people who had gone through that transition on a more regular basis. You've been better at this decision-making. Like, how have you thought about it? And you learn stuff and and your your curiosity really takes you in different places. I think your theme around hustle makes a big difference and and going after it. There's plenty of opportunities out there, but you have to do a little bit of work to go find them.
2: You do. And you have to, as you go out on your own, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that you can help companies or whatever you're going into. If you're a person, a singleton or even on a small team, you have to believe you can contribute and translate that to the people or person you're talking to so that they believe it as well. And that can be the hardest thing sometimes because it is, especially early on, it's an unknown. Like you, your company, you left 15 years with one employer and then you move out into something new, no matter how successful you were for 15 years, you're now doing something new and it takes a certain amount of re, re rebranding and just changing your mindset a little bit so that, you know, you can be successful and contribute into this next phase or this next chapter.
1: Yeah. So you're off doing your coffees and you're thinking this full-time life isn't for you. And so what happens next, Trevor? Where's the first idea of, I'm going to go do this on my own. We have to do this portfolio life. And and, yeah. and how, what was the first nugget of, of working on your own? Yeah. So three days
2: after leaving Washington, D.C. and moving to South Carolina, I got a call from a senior in, in the government saying, hey, understanding you're on your way out do you, can you do some consulting with us? And I said, holy cow. So I quickly got online with legal zoom, figured out how to get a company, how to incorporate it, all that kind of stuff to cover me from a legal perspective. And the bank account came and all that. So I had it sitting there. Um, once I, I decided I'm not getting the, we're just not able to la- lash up on the full-time gigs. I quickly said, I think I can still contribute. I know I can, as a matter of fact. And then Quickly, over that summer, they're talking the summer of the 22, so a year ago, one company approached me and said, hey, we have a small advisory board. We've seen your resume. Would you consider joining us? And I said yes to that. And it was, there's a certain momentum in certainly business literature. We'll talk about the flywheel concept. There's a certain momentum that once you get going, I had that one. And then about a month later, another company whom I was talking to about a full-time job, we just simply changed the conversation. And said, "We're not gonna. We're not gonna get there in the near term. Fiscal year is coming to an end. We got some things. You got some things you want to get across the goal line. I can help you. And the conversations were always very much like best case, perfect case. Both parties like each other, and we move into a full time position. At worst case, we don't like each other, and there's no severance package. It's a very easy split in terms of jettisoning an advisor. And so that." That became the second company in the fall of 22. And then I've added a couple since then. There's a balancing act, Jeremy, with being one person where you want to do well and provide value to all of your clients or partners, however you describe them. But that means you can't take on too much work because then you get just spread too thin and you're not able to give quality time to each each of the companies. And so that's a balancing act that I'm still learning, frankly, as I go down this path.
1: And how do you think about you know, that? Is that 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 hunting? That I've heard of hunting and eating, or pitching and catching, and whatever euphemism. Did you get to a place where all of a sudden you had? Oh my gosh, I have twenty five hours of work tomorrow, and there's only twenty four hours in the day. Is it something where have you, as you've thought about focusing where your practice is, how to? you have a certain sense of intellectual curiosity about you, which I've gotten to know and enjoy very much. So you're balancing that plus where you can focus your time and get multiple reps and get better. How do you think about that, that the framework for and that you have used to try to get better at your craft?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. First and foremost is developing relationships with the founders of the C suite of the companies. If I when I have that and it's not always there When I have that, I find that I can really understand what their challenges are, where their pain points are, what their roadmap is uh, for their product. And intellectual curiosity has led me to a place where I'm working with both hardware and SaaS companies, right? So I see both sides from the intricacies of SaaS and then the hardware and supply chain issues that come in and supply line, like the. Those are very, as you well know, but everybody listening, those are very different problems and can be very different problems. And so getting to know them, getting to know where their pain points are on that roadmap is absolutely critical. Because then I can say, okay, you have on your roadmap, we're going we're to be selling into the D- Department of Defense at this figure. And then we can start talking about some business development opportunities. We can give a good assessment of product market fit. We can do all those things, but I have to know where their head is at to be able to do that. And so I try to invest in that relationship with the companies that I'm working with. Past that, I try to anticipate the, and this is where I think being an intelligence, former intelligence officer comes in handy. I try to anticipate what is coming down the pike in terms of regulatory, in terms of things happening around the world that could impact their industry, whatever innovations that are happening. So I spent a lot of time reading Across those disciplines, the verticals from a drone industry, maybe to a commercial satellite industry to artificial intelligence, and trying to understand what's happening. Where those trends are, who are the movers and shakers, who are companies that these teams are often small. They can't, they don't have ubiquitous knowledge across their industry. So I try to flag for them, maybe, hey, did you see this company? It's not identical, but it's parallel and, and we got to pay attention to them. And so those sorts of items that they give me to work on or ask me to work on, or I just do on my own, keeps me busy, keeps me very focused, and allows me to provide them, I think, something that they wouldn't be able to get normally, especially when it's such a small team in some of these startups
1: you cool. Year one, just about in, 10 years from now, how are you thinking about success? What will that mean? And what are the ways to get there? Success. Success is the companies I've been
2: working with. This is split it in two. So there's a personal answer and a business answer. And I'll start with the business answer. The success is the companies I've been working with have been successful. And that means a successful exit in one way, shape, or form, maybe an M&A or, or through IPO. They're able to gain flight, gain traction enough, make it cross that valley of depth and are providing good, meaningful things for our national security professionals. Again, be that SaaS or be that hardware. And if it's not the company themselves, it's the technology that they worked on. Obviously, that could it could go come to a point where it was obsolete and that's just a natural sort of path of things. But maybe it's V6 or V7 of a particular thing that's still out there doing something. And then for the people in the companies, Jeremy, I... I'd like to think I'm still in touch with them and we are mutually supporting each other and whatever career path we've gone down at that point. Those relationships are important to me. And I think I've carried that over from my time in uniform where, hey, if I'm talking to a, a CEO of a company and he or she's doing really great things, I want them to continue to be successful even after they leave whatever company or even after we part ways and move on. In terms of personal, I, I've taken a lot of time that I normally would have been putting into a very full-time work week. And I certainly did while I was on active duty and rededicated some of that time to my family. And I'd like to think in 10 years, my family's in a really good spot. My kids are getting ready to head off to college. And we've raised two really super young people who are going to go out and contribute well to society and be good, good members of society.
1: Yeah, I think many times people underestimate the personal grounding as a foundation of success. Everyone thinks about doing the hard work, the hustle, the grinding, but there's there's a mental and physical preparation, spiritual preparation has to go into oneself yes. to be highly productive. And you know, sometimes the time and effort is much better if it's if it's well prepared, if it's well grounded and there's a strong foundation versus just yes. I'm gonna do more hours and thinking right. of that success.
2: More hours, more dollars. That's that is a thing. And it's part I talk to a lot of folks I'm, who are transitioning, Jeremy, and I say, hey, you, you got to figure out like what are your non-negotiables? What are the things that are core to who you are? And there's no right answer. It's a very much choose your own adventure. And if that's maximizing income as you're leaving government service for, okay? there's no judgment here that you just got to know that's where you're at. And you're going to decide accordingly based on that as being your core in terms of what positions you talk to or take and what companies you talk to, or maybe it's your family or your faith, and that's going to be the core and that's going to lead you down a different set of decision-making. And so I think the mistakes I see people make are when they don't take the time to figure that out and they get cross and their family is really at their center But they're chasing a big dollar figure and they're killing their family time as a result and they've not made peace with where they are in their life at that point you can contribute a lot still without finding a full-time position in a company if you can develop the right relationship with those companies or the funds or whomever you're working with
1: yeah such good advice I guess last question, people listening won't have the privilege and the honor of seeing your, your assortment of, of <laughs> inspirational posters behind you. And I'm wondering if you could just pick one or two, talk yeah. about the story behind it, or just describe the scene for us.
2: Yeah, no, thanks. So these are have a series of posters behind me that are, have used over the years, been in my office or now at my home office and, and are visible there for cues, both for myself and for whomever I'm talking to, to have good conversations about a variety of different things. And a couple that I'd point out, one is there's a hockey goalie mask that looks, for any of your horror movie aficionado listeners, it will remind them of Friday the 13th mask. It was actually the goalie mask that goalie Jim Craig wore on the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team that won famously in in my hometown of Lake Placid, New York. And it's split into the goalie mask is, and it has a Soviet flag, Soviet Union flag on one side and a United States flag on the other. I have that up there. A is a reminder of my hometown and certainly the Adirondack group, the name of my company is a nod to, to my ancestral roots up there. But the goalie mask is there because... It's a great reminder that Herb Brooks took that 1980 team and arguably beat the best hockey team that ever skated on ice in that 1980 Soviet team. And he was able to do it by, by getting a bunch of individuals to stop thinking of themselves as individuals and think of themselves as a team and understand that they were playing for something bigger than themselves, which was our nation. And by, by being able to do that and train them and, and focus them and have that attention to detail that really a success team needs they were able to overcome and beat the best team in the world and so that's that is extraordinarily important another one that's up there this is the only other one i'll do is uh, it's a picture of ernest Shackleton's ship the endurance frozen in ice it's a famous hurley picture he sets up his flashes and does a picture in the dark and yeah absolutely incredible story of survival of leading a small team, keeping their hopes up, giving them hope in the future, keeping them together and ultimately arriving at success, not from what the expedition set out to, but success after they had to remission, they had a pivot to use a overused term in today's world. They had to pivot off mission and say, we're not going to make the South Pole. We need to go just try to survive and live. And uh, Ernest Shackleton set an example as a leader to lead his team through that it's the best small team leadership book i've ever read and as i was telling you earlier, it holds extraordinary significance for me as my wife and i did our honeymoon in antarctica and i've been in those waters in the drake passage and what he was able to do in his navigator and the whole team in terms of surviving and making it was was pretty special and so those are two that i'd highlight and again it always provides a good opportunity to have good meaningful conversations about things that are important to me and I think are important to founders and leaders in in, in the businesses I'm working
1: with. Oh, very cool. Both of those stories are absolutely fantastic. They're ones that I know and I know many others know and they are. They're just stories of perseverance, leadership and overcoming odds. And anyone can do it if they put their mind to it. So very cool stories. Trevor, thank you so much for sharing your insights and your path. I wish you luck over your next 10 years, and we'll have you back then and talk about how it's been going. (laughs) Excellent, Jeremy.
2: I appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the fall up in Manchester before the snow comes here before too long, but enjoy it, man. This has been really fun. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Jeremy.
0: Thanks for joining the Securing Our Future podcast brought to you by New North Ventures. Stay up to date on dual-use innovation and augmented intelligence, digital authenticity, and cyber integrity by subscribing to our newsletter at newnorthventures.com. Prior thinking is that you can either make a lot of money or do right for the country. Now we can and must do both as there are incredible opportunities for outsized returns from both a financial and national security perspective.